Greetings. As you listen to Alan's sermon, you will notice that the initial part of his introduction is missing. Unfortunately, that part of Alan's sermon was not recorded. This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. The angel of the Lord has appeared to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord lights up the night, and the shepherds are terrified, scared to death. And the angel immediately tells them not to be afraid because he comes to them bearing good news. Good news of great joy, in fact, he says, which will be for all the people. And what is the good news? Well, we just read it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then the angel gives them a sign by which they could verify the truth of that statement, the truth of that claim. He gives them details in advance, details they would soon see for themselves, and therefore would know that what the angel said about this child was true. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 11, the message of the angel, big words. Verse 12, the sign that the shepherds would find, small words. First of all, the big words in verse 11. Let's look at those. And if you're looking at the ESV, the big words are easy to pick out because they're capitalized. Very convenient that way. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The first big word in verse 11 is David. David, of course, had once upon a time been the king of Israel. His greatness was seen even before he began to reign and how he patiently waited out the end of the reign of his predecessor, Saul, and endured Saul's personal and violent and vicious and unwarranted attacks against David. His greatness was seen how under his reign he led Israel to fill the land that the Lord had given them, leading them to prominence and to glory. He wasn't perfect. His sins are well known. And they, in fact, damaged his kingdom greatly. And yet, even of David, the Lord could say, this is a man after my own heart. David was also great in that the Lord gave to him a promise, a promise that he would never fail to have a descendant reigning on the throne of Israel, a promise, of course, fulfilled in Jesus. Maybe Jesus would be born in the city of David, namely Bethlehem. And David was from Bethlehem because his grandparents, Ruth and Boaz, uh, were in Bethlehem. Now, David is important because of who he was in his own time and certainly because of his even greater descendant. Many times in Matthew, the gospel many of you are familiar with, as we've just finished studying it, many times uh, Matthew refers to or cites Jesus being referred to as the son of David. And so David is a big word. The second big word in verse 11 is Savior. 
The word generally can refer to anyone who rescues or delivers, but every time this word is used in the New Testament, it refers either to Jesus, the Savior, or it refers to God, to God the Father, our Savior, of course, through sending into the world the Lord Jesus. Now, the angel announces here that a Savior has been born. And in fact, before this, as we read earlier, an angel had come to Joseph and explained to him that he was to give the baby the name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And Jesus was the Savior who would save his people from the penalty and the power and the presence, eventually, of their sins. So you see, Savior is a big word. The next big word in our text is Christ, the Savior who is Christ. Now, despite the way you often hear it and what you may believe, Christ is not Jesus' last name. If Jesus had a last name, it was probably something like Jesus ben Joseph, Jesus the son of Joseph. Christ, rather, is a title. It is his title. It is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. Both terms mean the anointed one, uh, referring to the idea, for example, when a king was anointed and set apart for his reign, that oil was poured on his head. He was anointed. But of course, the anointed one was the Messiah, the one the Jews were looking for and waiting for, the one who would fulfill all the prophecies of deliverance and restoration and greatness. And now the angel says that one has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David, who is, in fact, the Christ, who is the long-awaited Messiah, the Deliverer of Israel. Christ is a big word. And then the last big word, Lord, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the term for Lord can simply mean sir or master, but it can certainly mean so much more. The Old Testament, as many of you will know, was originally written in Hebrew. Well, eventually a translation was made of that Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, a version of the Bible known as the Septuagint. And in fact, that is the Bible from which Paul and others in the New Testament quote, a translation, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. You may also know that when the Jews would read their Old Testaments and they came to the name for God, which would be something like Yahweh, the four letters of the Tetragrammaton, or the name of God, they wouldn't say it. Out of reverence for the name, God never told them not to say it. He gave it to them as the name by which he was to be known. Moses said, whom shall I say sent me? And the Lord says to him, Yahweh, Yah, the Lord, his covenant name. But out of reverence, out of a fear of taking it irreverently, they, they wouldn't say it. But instead, when they came to that term, instead of the name, they would say, Adonai, Lord. And when the translators of that Greek version of the Old Testament came to that name of God, they wouldn't translate it literally. They would simply render it kurios, Lord. It can mean sir or master. But when it takes the place of the name of God, it can mean so much more. And in fact, it does here in the case of Jesus, who is not just a Lord, but is Christ the Lord. 
A master, yes. A king, yes. But so much more. The Lord Himself. God incarnate. Emmanuel. God now with us. Lord is a very big word. The angel had some big things to say about this one who was born. He's of David. He's a Savior. He's the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. And so one would expect that when the angel gave a sign verifying the nature of this one who was born, he would give a big sign. He would give something powerful, something corresponding to the magnificence of his announcement. And yet, it wasn't so. Instead, the sign is given by the small words in verse 12. The angel gives them a sign, but it involves small words. The first small word is a baby. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Baby, by definition, is something small. People think of babies as cute, fussy, messy. But they don't think of babies as being regal or powerful or having standing in the world. And yet the angel, to verify his announcements, said to the shepherds, you will find a baby. Baby is a small word. The second small word is swaddling cloths, or if you prefer the old King James Version, swaddling clothes. Okay, it's two words, I know. In English, however, the whole phrase, wrapped in swaddling cloths, is one word in Greek. And it refers, of course, to the practice of taking a newborn and wrapping him in strips of cloth prepared for the occasion, much as we might do today with blankets, so that the baby is wrapped up and snug and warm. Now, one of the joys of the ministry is visiting couples in the hospital who have just given birth to a new child. Now, the babies are always different, but there's one thing that is the same. They always have that standard issue cap on their head. And I've come to the conclusion, after seeing every child I've ever gone to the hospital to see with a little cap on their head, that they're actually born with it. <laughs> every one of them has it. You know the one I'm talking about with the little blue and yellow and pink stripes around it. They all have it. Or maybe the hospital just has a lot of them and they give them to them, but they always have it. I don't know if Jesus had one of those caps. I suspect he might have. But certainly we do know he was wrapped up warmly in strips of cloth that Mary had lovingly prepared for her firstborn son. Swaddling cloths are small words. And the last word here in verse 12 is manger. We'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, Luke doesn't say it explicitly, but since he tells us in verse 7 there was no room for them in the inn there in Bethlehem, their use of a manger implies that Joseph and Mary were using either a cattle stall or perhaps a cave for accommodations during their stay in Bethlehem. Now, manger is, is a pretty word for animal feeding trough. We're so familiar with the Christmas story that it seems perfectly natural that Mary, having given birth to her son, would then place him in a manger, a feeding trough. It's not natural, of course, but given where they were and that that was what was available as a crib for the baby, that's what they used, a manger. Manger is a very small word. So it all comes down to this. The announcement of the angel uses big words. 
David, Christ, Savior, Lord. The sign he gave them uses small words, baby, swaddling cloths, manger. Why the difference? Because in that progression from big to small, we have exactly what happened at Christmas. Because Christmas is about the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. It's about when God, a big word, became man, a small word. You see, Christmas is about a big God becoming little, without giving up any of his deity, becoming a man. Now, that in and of itself is a pretty astounding thing, that God should come and be born as a baby into his own creation. As the Puritan poet John Donne puts it, "'Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be like man much more. But what's even more amazing was why he did it. He did it so that we little sinners could become big. And little as he was at Bethlehem, he became even smaller on the cross, humbled himself even more. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became little. So we could become big. He became nothing so that we in him could become something. He became sin so that we who have believed in him might become the very righteousness of God in him. Words are important in political, in cultural dialogue and debate. It's often the case that the one who determines the terminology the one who shapes the language carries the day. You see, the whole story of Christmas is captured in these few important words of the angel's announcement. Big words. David, Savior, Christ, Lord. Small words. Baby, swaddling cloths, manger. When you understand the meanings of these words and how we move from the big ones down to the small ones... And why? Then you understand Christmas. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy, indeed. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you sent your Son into this world to be our Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to humble yourself, to become one of us, to live in this broken world, to obey the law for us, and ultimately to die on the cross, bearing our sins so that we who have trusted in you might be saved. Lord, we recognize that you were born in order to die. We thank you, you died, that we might be born again and might belong to you 
free of our sins, free of their power, free of their penalty, and eventually, Lord, free of their presence. We praise you, O God, for this great Savior. We praise you, O God, for this good news of great joy. And we pray it in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.